Tonight, I thought about the title of the lesson, Please Don't Take Me for a Fool. If I open the Bible and I begin to look at the occurrences of the title or the name fool, it appears 115 times. That tells us there's a lot of foolishness that goes on on the part of man. And yet, it's a term that we use too carelessly today. I remember as a younger fellow, I liked to watch the A-Team, but I also remember one of the actors using the phrase, I pity the fool. And, uh, you know, that really became sort of a catchphrase that many of us repeated to one another, but I want to warn you that when you go to the Bible, Jesus warned against using that kind of terminology. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Wow. You know, the Lord made it pretty plain, pretty clear. That's not a term you throw around loosely or carelessly. You don't just call somebody that because that's a serious accusation. It's not just someone who makes poor decisions. You see, in our eyes sometimes, when we think about a person who is a fool, we think about a person who just simply is not very smart. They have difficulty getting through life, and they make poor decisions. But in the Bible, it carries with it the idea of insolence, pride, and rebellion, and I'm not going to do what someone tells me to do because I'm smarter than they are. Perhaps the best illustration I can give you of a person like this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You remember as David was going about, particularly going through the Jezreel Valley, he was in some ways protecting the livelihood of many of those people. And he came in contact with the workers of a man by the name of Nabal. And he needed provisions. And the book of First Samuel describes to us this man. Notice verse 2. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing sheep in Carmel. The name of his man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. You drop down to verse 25, and when Abigail comes to try to salve the curlishness of Nabal, she says, Please, my Lord, let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal. For so his name is, so is he, Nabal is his name, and follow is with him. You might be interested to notice that the word Nabal 
is the Hebrew word that appears in all those Old Testament passages. That's the name that simply means the fool. I can't imagine a mother or father naming their son. Was this a nickname that he had acquired because of his meanness, of his evilness? Now, I do want to remind you that when you look at this passage, you can't think of a man who wasn't very astute, very wise in his business dealings because look what verse 2 says. He was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. This man had worked hard. This man had acquired a lot of things. I might tell you a little bit about the word fool. The Bible tells us who these people are, and I could have taken those 115 instances, and we would have finished about midnight tomorrow night, but uh, I chose four of them that we're going to talk about. And the one is the fool who claims there is no God, who leaves God out of his plans, who trusts his own heart and hears but does not obey the word. Let's explore these four sections of God's word. Brother Michael read to us just a few moments ago from the book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1, or Psalms 14 verse 1. Also in Psalms 53 verse 1, it says exactly the same words. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, why does that make a person a fool? There's a lot of people who will say things like that. I just this afternoon was looking through some of the posts on Facebook and people posting pictures of things and they said, this is 16 million years old. Wow, that's nowhere close to biblical chronology. And you can find people who will say that God didn't create this world, that this world was a product of organic evolution. Well, you see, when I go to the Bible, there are people who do that, who have to deny plain, clear, irrefutable evidence. Not only evidence in the Bible, but they have to deny the evidence in the very creation in which they stand. On Wednesday nights, we're studying from the book of Romans, and you can't skip this verse, or these verses. You can't skip this section because it is so plain when Paul says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hinder the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Listen, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. I think of the worldly educated mind today. I think of those people who put God aside and they say in their heart, in what they really believe and how they really act, there is no God. But when you start exploring just one infinite 
part of this universe, then you begin to appreciate that. In Psalm 19 and verse 1 through 4, David would say, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth, and their works to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. I mentioned to Coretta just a few moments ago as we were driving over here. I said, look up at the moon. How beautiful it is. I said, it looks really, you can see the, the whole ball of the moon. And you see how that there is just so much order to this universe in which we're a part. Hebrews 3 verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. The very existence of something tells us that there had to be a maker or a creator. Well, why would a person deny God? Why would they claim there's no God? The only reason is because of stubbornness. They don't want to have God in their knowledge. And that's exactly what we're studying on Wednesday night. They refuse to have God in their knowledge. Now let's talk a little bit about leaving God out of our plans. Now we want to go to Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, a very familiar passage. And our Lord spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Now pause with me for just a moment as I read through this. Rich man. Did you notice what we observed in 1 Samuel with regards to Nabal? He was a rich man. And the Lord talks about a parable again about a rich man. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So I said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose things will be that you have or which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So you see in the minds here, you have a man who has planned, I need to expand, I need to have my barns, I've had a good bumper crop this year. Where's God in this picture? Where is the appreciation to God for the, the goodness that he has provided? Where is the appreciation for God to the point, Lord, let me give some of what you have given me. But no, no, no. It's all about, look what I'm going to get and I need to make sure I keep as much of it as possible. And I need to enjoy it myself. Eat, drink, and be merry. See, the truth is, making a living is necessary. But we should always keep God in our plans. James, the brother of our Lord, described this in James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. He said, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, and make a profit. 
Now, pause with me again for a moment. Is there anything wrong with a person having a plan to make a living? Obviously not. Is there anything wrong with a person buying here, selling over here, and making a profit? No, there's nothing. That's the only way a person who's in business is going to survive is if they make a profit. But look at verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. What our Lord's brother was trying to impress upon men is is that when you find yourself with an opportunity in front of you, put God in your plans. Make sure he's a part of what you're going to say, what you're going to do, and fitting in all of that. Now, the problem is some evidently do not believe God has anything to do with this world. They believe that perhaps there was a higher power that started this world, but with regards to their daily activities, it really doesn't have much impact on how they act, how they treat their fellow man. For just a moment, let me go to Psalms chapter 10. You know, Psalms 90 verse 20, he says, O Lord, help the nations to see themselves to be but men. And he's trying to say, We need to step back sometimes and look at ourselves in relationship to God. And you get to Psalms 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in the pride of his countenance or his proud countenance does not seek God. Now listen to the last part of verse 4. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages in the secret places. He murders the innocents. His eyes secretly fix on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. So he crouches. He lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Wow. I'm impressed with the way David presents this. Is that not exactly the way people act in our world today? That God's not got any sort of direction in their lives? God looks down and As he told in the parable of that rich man who tore down his barns, he said, you're a fool. You're not planning for your eternity. Oh, you're planning for here and now, but you're not planning for where you will spend your eternity. 
Now let me ask you, this is practical. What about your plan, some of you young people, for a career in life? What about some of you who may be seniors this year and will be going to college next year? What about the school that you're going to choose? What about your family? How does God fit into your family? I'd like for you to think with me for just a few moments about what occurred in Genesis chapter 13. You see, God blessed Abraham and God blessed Lot. Those two men became powerful. And what happens is when you've got so many flocks and so many herds trying to feed on one small parcel of land, there's not enough for them to eat. And so there's got to be some sort of division And when Abraham made the offer to Lot, Lot, you take what's on the right hand, I'll take what's on the left, and then vice versa. Here's what verse 10 says. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. And then Lot chose... For himself, all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from one another. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, folks, just... Think for just a moment about the choice that Lot made. You look and before them is the land. And could Lot have said to Abraham, Abraham, there's sinfulness in Sodom. And yet there is still good farmland. Perhaps maybe we should have some division, some in Canaan and some of the well-watered plain so that I can keep my family pure and holy away from these ungodly sinners. But no, he pitches his tent towards Sodom. God was not in any of his plans. What was in his plans was money, was prospering. Number three, a fool is one who trusts his own heart. In Proverbs 28, verse 26, he who trusts his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Part of wisdom is a recognition of one's inability and thus the need for guidance. Part of being wise is to understand there's so much I don't know and that we approach others who do know and say, can you help me? Can you guide me? But you see, the fool says, I don't need anybody's guidance. I already know it all. I don't need anybody else's help. I want you to listen to Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. Jeremiah has looked at the sinfulness of the nation of Judah. He sees how they've gone away from God and he says it like this, O Lord, I know the way of man 
It is not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. You look around about you and you find people who have left God out of their plans and who have focused on their own ingenuity. And I'll show you a man who's gone into sinful ways. Chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? People have to recognize that in this life, there's need for direction. Like the eunuch in Acts 8. About whom is this prophet speaking? Himself or some other man? I need some guidance. I need some direction. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I could think this is a good way to go, but if I don't have God's direction, then I may end up in the wrong place. Let me give you three valuable observations from Solomon. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. Chapter 18, verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. In other words, I've got to tell you what I think. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone that you're trying to tell them something that you do know and they stop you to let you know that they think they already know the answer? Chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Number four, let's go to Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. I'm sure the children even know this passage very well. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. The Lord tells us not to be deceived. Isn't it so easy to deceive ourselves into believing something is true when it's really not? Sometimes we have in our mind that as long as I hear something that that's sufficient, that's enough. James 1, 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's so easy for a person to sit and listen and say, yeah, that's right. And then not make any changes, not do anything 
how would you think that a person would be in life if the doctor tells them, if you do this, you will live, but if you don't do it, you're going to die? Okay, doctor, I've got the point. And then he walks out and he says, okay, I just think I'm not going to do that. You'd say, well, he's foolish. Same thing, spiritually speaking. Hearing implies that one knows, you know, James 4, verse 17, therefore to him that knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. And I've got to say, it's sad how many times you see people who have been told, this is what's right, this is what you must do, and then not do it. I think about Paul as he stood before the kings and the governors. As he stood, first of all, before the governor, Felix. He reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. I know there are people who have told me numerous times. I heard preachers preach for years to say, you need to obey the gospel, you need to obey the gospel, you need to obey the gospel. And I knew what I needed to do, but I just didn't do it. In chapter 26, verse 28, Men Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I wish you would, to paraphrase him. Mark 10, verse 22, the rich young ruler, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sometimes people won't listen because there's things that have their heart more. If you don't want to be taken for a fool, don't act like a fool. Don't act foolishly. Don't be stubborn. Don't be rebellious. Submit to God's will. You see, that's what a real fool is. He's a one who's, who's stubborn. He's rebellious. He says, I'm not going to. Well, the truth is, you can become a Christian tonight. If you've not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, why not come forward, be baptized for the remission of your sins? If you are a Christian and you're struggling with sin, why keep struggling? Why not come forward and let us pray with you? While together we stand and sing.